All right. Good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care here in the studio. This particular topic is as uh, a request from Kyle Wyatt. He has always talked about, especially this time of the year, about travel preparations. And I've done a few different shows on this, but specifically this is something he was asking for. So, of course, if uh, Mr. Wyatt asks, we deliver. So we are going to talk about tips and tricks and, and different things to look for and things to do before you travel. And I cannot stress this enough. Uh, as from experience, I have had failures at this. I've had some wins and successes, and I'm sure some of those story times will show up throughout the show today. But the main focus is hopefully to provoke some thought before you get in the car and drive you know, several hundred miles, if not thousands of miles, that you're prepared or you're hedging your bet to make sure that if there's some run-of-the-mill situations that happen, you have some kind of plan of action before you're trying to figure it out on the side of the road. Um, you know, I've done a lot of traveling. We do a lot of traveling still. We we normally um, take many trips throughout the month to St. Louis, which is right about 200 miles for us. And you have what I consider local cars. And local cars are going to be your under 50-mile radius. And you can get away with a whole bunch of neglect with a car that you keep in a 50-mile radius. So what does that mean and what in the world am I talking about? Well, the bottom line is, is once you kind of reach out past that 100-ish mile mark, you know, the 50 to 100-mile window is where you see whether you have been caring for your vehicle or you haven't been. Now, there are going to be situations that are unforeseen where things just sheerly break. Uh, but most of the time, that's really where if you've not been maintaining your vehicle, you're going to see what system that has been neglected, and it's going to rear its ugly head just about the point that you're too far away from home to, to phone a friend and then be there in 20 minutes. So that 50-mile radius is what I consider local cars. So if you have an older vehicle that hasn't been super well-maintained, hasn't been in for service multiple times a year, you're going to think that that car is a really good car in that 50-mile window. Where it shows that you push it out is that point that we've already talked about. And we're going to talk about some of the things that if you're able to do it yourself or you have some experience under your belt about things to look at or some education or you've got a family friend or a trusted facility that takes care of it, that's where that expertise is going to pay off is past that 50-mile window. So some of the basic stuff, and, and I did a little bit of web, uh, you know, running around before I started to write this show. And the very number one thing on most sites was catch up your backlog maintenance. Now, we have a digital vehicle inspection. When you come in, we do a vitals evaluation. And I attribute that basically to like every time anybody ever goes into the doctor, they're going to check your basic vitals. Even before you see the expert, they're going to get a baseline to make sure the pulse, the heart rate, blood pressure, etc., your temperature at this point is all well within check even before they try and figure out anything else that's going on. So if you've got a vehicle that's more than 40,000, 60,000 miles, you're starting 
to come up on what the manufacturer says should be maintained or there should start being some services done to make sure and and hedge your bet against failure. 99% of the repair, whether it's large or small, that we do, I can attribute it back to lack of maintenance normally. We've got vehicles in our fleet through the company, our personal vehicles. I've talked about them many, many times that are three, 400,000 miles and still going strong, but they've been meticulously maintained. So you kind of get to be a choose uh, um, a choice of whether you are proactive or reactive. And, and what I mean by that is either you deal with it on your terms and the scheduled maintenance that should be happening or the vehicle deals with you on its terms when it decides, and then you have to figure out how to deal with it. So the number one thing is is just basically have a good vitals inspection done, whether you do it on your own. Um, most of the fluid containers, even if you don't bring it in, are clear or transparent, semi-transparent. You, you can look and see um, that the fluid is in there. Typically, coloration will show you if it's extremely dark in most cases, your past when it should have been serviced. A lot of folks wait until the fluid is really degraded. And I understand that. Um, That's the point in time that it's obvious. But the goal to preventing the failures is actually servicing it before you get to that very nasty degraded fluid. So that's going to be your number one. Even if you don't get the system serviced, making sure that they're full and at the specified level is extremely important. We do a lot of vehicles that come through our facilities and I will I will tell you that it's very rare that we get a vehicle in that has adequate amount of oil, adequate amount of coolant, power steering fluid, brake fluid, um, etc. That they we don't have a system that's significantly low that the operator of the vehicle wasn't aware of it. So very important. Locally, it will tolerate that. That's why I say it's a local car. But once you push it out there a little bit, and that sustained uh, running at operating temperature headed down the road at typically highway speeds, um, over time, the lack of volume there starts to overheat and superheat the fluid, and then you get it to where it gives up the go. So I told you there's going to be a couple story times out there. Um, You know, when I was younger, a lot of times, obviously, you know, I was – uh, you know, not able to buy quality vehicles. Typically, it was always vehicles that somebody else couldn't keep on the road and were sick of messing with it. So I got it for, you know, next to nothing. And I was able to get it going and, and get it local and, and be a dependable local car. But every time I needed to make a long trip in it, typically something would break because it was a clunker. And so I've had transmissions give out on me, you know, 100 miles from home. I can remember that one very clearly. Um, I had a, a epic failure. It's been a couple of years ago where I had a transfer case failure out on the interstate. Um, so it does happen, but I want to hedge my bets against it, um, especially on some of the easier things. Tires is going to be one of your number one failures that give up the ghost and it may be your fault or not your fault what i mean by that is you know maybe the tire was really bald we have a lot of folks that come in and during our vitals inspection we will find tires that the customer had no idea that they were in the condition that they were in and our role is to be the communicator between the car and the customer hey this is what's going on with your vehicle Um, with the way cars are built nowadays they really hide a lot of that so 
you may have significant tire wear on the inside of the, the, the tread of the tire and not be able to see it on the outside. It may look brand new. Now, those are signs of front-end issues um, or alignment issues, so definitely want to make sure you're proactive on that side of it. Um, and sheer age of tires, those are all all very important. One of the biggest ones that I see is inflation. And when I talk about that, especially when the temperatures really start to creep up there, if you run an underinflated tire, it allows the tire to superheat or it gets very, very hot. And that's where you get the blowout failure. Now, the, the, the worst part about a blowout, and the blowouts are bad enough, is that you are stuck on the side of the road in a pretty unsafe condition, typically with traffic you know, whizzing by, and then you get out. Hopefully you have a good jack. Hopefully you pull to a safe area. Um, uh, I struggle with this fact, but it's reality. Nobody should ever drive on the rim. You just shouldn't do it. However, if you're in an unsafe area at a very slow and easy pace, you need to drive it to an area that is safer to change that tire. Um, it's been a, a several years ago. I had a loved one had a flat tire out on James River, and they were actually pulled over in the median. And so they called me. I was able to get there in a, in a pretty quick amount of time and to change the tire. I was like, okay. So I show up there, and I'm like, I'm not changing the tire right here. And so I waited for traffic to 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 uh, slow up, and I drove it very slow and carefully. It did not ruin the wheel. Uh, but even if it had, it, it didn't matter. It wasn't worth changing the tire in the location that they were at. And I got them to an off-ramp, and I did the tire service on it and got them in and got it taken care of, new tire, etc. But the reality is, even if it had cost them a wheel, it's not worth changing it in a uh, in a situation that puts you or exposes you to even more risk than what you normally have. And I'm going to talk about it a little later in the show, but they have some equipment out there that I strongly recommend. And I've kind of got a top 10 list of your emergency stuff. Um, They have a boost box or a jump box that in case your vehicle doesn't start, you can get it going, that are equipped with what I call wigwag lights. And anybody that has been in roadside service knows that that's the the alternating yellow and white, typically uh, distress lights that a lot of your service or construction vehicles have. So it's anything you can do to draw attention to yourself to make sure that people do move over, give you some space, um, and aren't changing a tire in an ugly, ugly space. But a lot of times you can head that off, A, by making sure the tire's inflated correctly. Check it every time you stop. I've gave this tip many, many times that when I stop for fuel... One of the things that I do is I put my palm on the sidewall of all the tires. And I want to make sure that I don't have one that doesn't match the rest of it. Because if it's low on inflation, it will have excessive heat in there and you'll feel it and hopefully head off a problem before it happens. We do need to step into a break and we're going to. When we come back, I'm going to continue with some of the tips and tricks and things that you need to be looking at if you plan to do some traveling this season. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care. I I know I'm beating tires to death, but that is one of the biggest things that give people fits. I've stopped and helped 
I can't tell you how many people over the years and I get in there and they don't have a jack or they don't have a lug wrench or the spare is there or not, or it's inflated or it's not. Those are all things that on the side of the road, you sure don't want to be figuring that out there. So that's why I'm provoking this. If you're capable of doing the checkout, do it. Don't put it off. Don't forget about it. Um, If you're not and you've got a service center, take it to them and have them do it. We do a lot of pre-trip inspections at our facility. That's a big thing. Um, Make sure you ask whoever you bring it to, hey, check my spare for me. Okay, check my tire pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Be vocal about these things. Um, Don't assume that everybody does the same inspection because they don't. So please, uh, the other thing is the date on the tires. There is a date on the sidewall. The first two numbers are the week and the second two numbers are the year. Any of our folks should be able to get that information for you. Sometimes it's on the inside sidewall, so it's a little bit of a pain to, to find it. But you definitely don't want six, eight years as your life expectancy. I'm not taking a several hundred mile trip on eight to 10 year old tires. I'm just not doing it, especially because typically when you're taking that trip, you have excess weight in the vehicle. um, And that's where you really stress that tire out and you find out that it is too uh, basically dry rotted, if you will. And then the tire unloads. And then you're down and out, and that's never any good. The The next part of it, I'm going to get into overheating. Um, it's less of a thing now, honestly. The cooling systems are much better than they used to be. However, here's my butt coming in there. The engines will not tolerate an overheat. We are seeing an epidemic amount of engine and head gasket failures because people pushed them too far and now they're consuming coolant or completely static locked and causing an issue. The modern vehicle is a product of less weight, less displacement, which is basically how big the engines are, and more power and performance. So those are those are all wins in that category. Where the trade-off is, is they're, they're much less robust than they used to be. So what does that mean? When you were a kid, you could run a vehicle low on oil, you could run it hot a few times, and you really didn't damage it very easily. One overheat, one low on oil, you will have some significant problems. And I mean in-your-face problems. And that's a huge, huge deal And an engine nowadays is multiple thousands of dollars, and it's not getting any cheaper out there, okay? So where do you typically or how can you head it off? Just checking the fluid on it helps tremendously. I see cars come in all the time, low on coolant, and then you get in a situation where I'm talking, you're running around local, oh, this thing hasn't had any problems, but you continue pushing it for multiple hours out at uh, highway speed, the lack of capacity starts to not be able to transfer heat adequately because you're low. You don't have as much as you did, you know, or you should have. And then you get in a situation where you get in a uh, traffic jam for some reason, whether it's construction, an accident. I I can go on for days about sitting out on I-44 here. 
So I've already got the cooling system running at max temperature. I've got the extra air running across the radiator because I'm at speed. And then I shut it down in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And then hopefully your awareness is that you don't tailgate the vehicle in front of you. When I'm sitting in traffic, I need a little bit more car length to allow me the most fresh air as possible to come across that radiator. Um, If you get in a situation where it starts to overheat, and even if you see an area, oh, I'm going to try and make it to the next exit, I'm going to try and make it to the side road, I'm going to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you're really rolling the dice big time. You have got to pull over and shut the car down and let it cool off. Hopefully you have some uh, reserve water in the vehicle. You do not want to take the pressure off the radiator at that time, whether it's at the radiator or the overflow tank. It will flash boil and burn you severely. Not only that, you lose your thermo Uh, transfer fluid basically because it boils out of the system very very rapidly because it's under pressure that's how they allow a vehicle to raise the boiling point by the way is they use the pressure of the cap to raise the boiling point up so you can run at 200 plus degrees and the coolant or water in there not boil so what do i do in this case well obviously it depends on how much i have If I have excess water, say I get to a gas station or something, I don't want to pour cold water right into the cooling system because it'll thermoshock the internals of the engine. And it's no different than, I'm sure, of course, maybe this is going to show my age a little bit, but, you know, before K-Cups and the Keurigs and one cup and blah, 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 the old, uh, the coffee carafe, it typically had a heater on the bottom of it to keep the coffee warm. If you take it out hot and you shock it with cold water, what happened? Well, it immediately shattered that coffee pot. That same thermal shock will happen to the engine. So if I've got a hot engine, I don't use a water spigot and pour it directly into the engine. What I will do is run it through or over the front of the radiator area to give me that boost on thermal transfer and pull the heat out of the the antifreeze or the coolant to get the engine to where it's cycling better and running cooler antifreeze back into the engine. So externally is where I'm going to run it over top of the radiator or if it's in a hose, I will make sure that it goes through the fins. I don't want it on the block, so please be mindful of that. If you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Call somebody. As bad as that is, waiting on roadside service. But we're trying to prevent some of this and allow you a little bit of a game plan if it does happen. So if I have water bottles or jugs of water in the car, hopefully you do, I will run that over the vehicle with the engine off, trying to pull as much heat out of that antifreeze as possible. Once I get it cooled down and there is no longer pressure on the system, which can take hour, maybe 90 minutes, somewhere in there, depending on ambient outside air temperature, that's when I'm going to start trying to introduce or check the level on the cooling system. At that point in time, then you've got a little bit more flexibility if you do need to drive the vehicle further. So very important do's and don'ts. If you have any other questions in that, uh, please call one of the stores. Uh, it is not a, uh, it's not a coaching of how to fix your own car, but if you're in a situation, we can talk you through that. 
a lot of times our recommendation on an overheat, I'm going to say 99.99% of the time is you get it towed into the shop because it's much cheaper cheaper to get a tow than it is to pay for a head gasket or an engine replacement depending on how severe the situation was. So very, very important. One that dovetails into that same category and, uh, you know, in the day and age that we live in now, pretty much everybody wants to make sure the air conditioning on their car works well. Okay. And I really should probably do a whole segment on this, but I'm going to try and cram, you know, 10 pounds of this in a five pound sack here. So, uh, I typically want to do an AC check every year on my vehicle before AC season really ramps up. Why should you do that? Okay. The, the whole end all be all behind this is, is your AC system will lose a little bit of Freon. Freon's not really the right word. That's R12 and that's copyrighted to that. Let's go with 134A refrigerant in most cases. You, as you lose the refrigerant, you will lose a little bit of the oil that is so critical in that system. And you may think, oh, you know, it doesn't cool quite as good as it used to. I'll worry about it later. Well, you're running that system low on oil, and then you get a catastrophic failure. And I'll tell you right now, nothing with air conditioning is really super cheap when the word catastrophic failure comes in there. So I'm trying to prevent those catastrophic failures. So what we do is we bring it in, we assess the pressures, what's going on, how the system's functioning. Um, Not always is a system not functioning because it doesn't have the proper amount of refrigerant in it, by the way. I literally had one this last week. My head tech at Fort Street was uh, was looking at the system. It was doing some really weird things. Guy had bought the vehicle from somebody that he knew, previous owner, and we weren't getting the fans to work correctly. So we were doing some investigation. The cooling fans are extremely critical for the air conditioner to work correctly or not. And what he was having an issue with is the low-speed fan wasn't working at all. Somebody, for whatever reason, and honestly, I see this a lot, had removed either the fuse a lot of times, or in this case, the low-speed cooling fan relay was gone. Wasn't even in there. Why somebody does that and doesn't replace it with a new one, I will never understand that. I really won't. Um, Evidently, whoever was working on it had no idea what they were doing. May have been why they sold the vehicle so cheap. So the guy got a great deal. We actually fixed his AC performance issue with a electrical component, which happens a lot. So I'm not always charging the system. What I am going to do is weigh the capacity, make sure the charge is correct, and make sure there's adequate lubricant in there before I stress the AC system at any point in time to make sure I'm protecting those components. Because if you starve them for oil, you are going to... Be reactive when they blow up and you don't have any AC. So I don't want you to do that. So get it checked. If it's not quite as good as it used to be, it's it's pennies on the dollar to get it assessed and make the recommendations from the technician versus waiting until it's self-destructs. So very, very important. We are down at the bottom of the hour. We got roughly half the show done. We got plenty more tips and tricks for you after the break. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood, of course, here in the studio, hoping to try and get you through a summer where you don't have any breakdowns, especially if you're traveling, because nobody on vacation with the family, with the pets, with all the stuff and the places you got to be has time for a breakdown. 
So this one's kind of a minor one, but it's probably one of my biggest pet peeves. We're at number five, by the way. Um, it is clear uh, vision or seeing ability. So before we go and travel, I typically clean the windows inside and out with a specific ammonia-free window cleaner. Why ammonia-free? Well, I normally run tinting on most of my cars, so ammonia will discolor the tint. So I want to make sure I've got a good foaming ammonia-free cleaner with a good, um, not shop towel, a uh, paper towel. I know there's, you know, folks out there that use newspaper. Honestly, I've never tried that. I probably ought to give it a whirl. You know, the folks that do use newspaper usually swear by it. So I'll let you know how that works. Um, But I want to clean the windows inside and out. The mirrors inside and exterior mirrors. It's amazing when you clean the mirrors and just take a brief moment. I tow a lot trailers of different kinds. And being able to see behind me when I'm backing is so important. So having good, clean mirrors, I won't say I do it every week, but I bet I do it a couple of times a month. Now, it never ceases to amaze me how much better I can see after I do that, even in lane changes. It's not just if you're pulling trailers, that it makes such a huge difference and making sure they're adjusted correctly and the windows, of course. And then every time I stop for fuel, typically I will I will plan or I will stop places that do a good job with the wash containers that are next to the pumps. So a lot of times I'll try and stop because I'm driving uh, trucks most of the time. Uh, I like to stop at truck stops because certain ones will have the very long extended handles for the window scrubber and squeegee. I really prefer those. I don't really care what the fuel price is when I'm traveling. I, I do. But I will pick a place over that versus a few pennies on fuel. And then I want to pick a station that is a very busy station because I want fresh fuel. I don't want fuel that's been sitting in the tanks for a long time because a lot of times you're buying water at that point And nobody, you know, anybody that's ever driven anything that's got water in the fuel, typically it doesn't drive anymore. Back in the day with carburetors, it would run crappy and backfire and all that Fuel injection won't tolerate it, so normally you're getting towed in. While we're talking about fuel, especially when you're doing hundreds of miles and then fueling, you don't want to run the fuel tank down past a quarter tank. The fuel is very important, but there's an electric pump down at the bottom of the tank, and the fuel is a coolant for that pump. And being submerged inside fuel is very important. So if you run it down till the gas light comes on, or you significantly are always on E and you're putting like $6.23 at a time in your gas tank, you're shocking that hot pump that has been, uh, you know, exposed and not had the coolant around it with cool fuel out of the tanks in the ground. So back to our analogy earlier about an overheat, same theory applies that you will shock that pump. And a lot of times you will go to start the vehicle after that and it won't start. And you have killed that pump right there. And then you're stuck at the gas station for about the first 10 years of my career at uh, Fortin Sunshine at the A1 Custom Car Care. There was a come-and-go right there, basically in our parking lot. Now, they've built a giant come-and-go on the same intersection, just catty-corner across uh, Fort Street there and, and on the other side of the road. 
But my point being is I lived right in front of a gas station for almost a decade. And so the amount of no start and fuel pumps that died right there in front of me was unbelievable. And I don't want you to be that person. It costs the same amount of money to drive a vehicle on a quarter tank as it does to drive it on E. You're not making money, saving money, nothing. It's the same exact amount. So you don't want to run it past a quarter tank. On top of that, so we made a trip to St. Louis and back yesterday. Coming home, uh, I think it was mile marker 145. They're doing construction only on that side of the road. They're repairing a bridge there is what they're doing. And they've got it, you know, neck down to one lane. Everybody knows what that does. It backs up traffic tremendously. And instead of, you know, breezing through there in five minutes, it takes 45 minutes. Well, in that particular area around mile marker 145 on I-44, there's not a lot of fuel stations there. So if you're running on E and you think, oh, I'm going to push it to the next stop, which is, you know, probably 20 or 30 miles, you get in a situation that if you get stuck in gridlock, you run out of fuel. Well, ain't nobody got time for that. And it didn't save you any money, not to mention the shortness of life on your fuel system. You really don't want to be sucking the, you know, the bottom of the tank anyway. There are debris and particles in there that are fine until you start sucking the last little fumes out of that tank. And then you get that into your fuel system, which compounds the problem. This whole show is of how, of, of, is of about how not to have problems. So we're trying to head some of those off. If you have young drivers, I encourage all of this information to be pushed out to them as well, not only uh, for a trip check such as what we're talking about now. Um, One of the other things we're at number eight, I'm sorry, number seven, is your brake performance. Um, You know, Springfield's a pretty busy place. We do have people that come to Springfield for different uh, farm fests and rodeos and different things from outlying areas. I've had many people over the years make it into town and basically get here and the brakes are just grinding to beat the band and a lot of times they're pulling trailers um and so they're they're over a barrel i have to figure out a way to get them in there to get them back on the road you don't want to be that person out there trying to find a service center that you're not familiar with and hoping that they're going to get you in and get it taken care of so just having a good visual inspection if they've been doing something funny I assure you, the longer you push it, the more expensive it's going to cost. And I don't want that for you guys. So a good standard brake inspection. Number eight is going to be starting and charging systems. Um, You really can't foresee sometimes when an electrical component will go out. I know you don't predict when you go into the bathroom and you flick the light on, then light just burns out right in front of you. Um, That's kind of the similar thing. It can happen. However, there are telltale signs that if you have the right equipment and you've got the right skilled people checking and running that equipment, they can say, hey, you know, you've got such and such cold crank amp battery in this vehicle and it's putting out, you know, a third less. That's going to be a red flag for me. Um, Reserve capacity is something a lot of people don't talk about or check. Um, That's where you leave the key on listening to the radio for like two minutes and then all of a sudden the battery smoked and didn't give you any warning. You could also check the AC ripple, and I'm getting a little technical, but these are all important things. Um, You can also check the amperage output of the alternator. Those are all things that we have the equipment and we do that you won't get at a big box parts store with the little code thing that they use in the parking lot. 
So a lot of big box stores say, hey, we do free starting and charging system checks. I'm not saying that that's not an adequate service. It is. It's a very basic service, and it doesn't go far enough, in my opinion. Not even in my opinion, in my experience. There's a lot that lacks to be discovered with those little tools that I will be able to see a problem much sooner than they will. So, for instance, they may be able to say, oh, yep, this or that's okay. But if you have too much amp draw from the starter and you get stuck, you know, out on the turnpike somewhere, that's something that we would have saw sooner. These are all things that you can do as well. If you go to start the vehicle, you're going to know this vehicle even better than I will. Because typically this is going to be your vehicle you drive day to day. If it sounds any different, any different, even if it does it one time or two times, you need to keep that on your radar and be heightened sense of awareness that, hey, we may have something going on. Because it'll show, and a lot of times I'll hear it, I'll get in a vehicle and it'll slow crank or it'll you know, have some starter drag in there. And I think, ah, something's going on. I'll go talk to the customer and they're like, you know... It may be doing something different, but it happens over time, so they forget about it. Well, don't forget about it, or it will leave you stuck somewhere. Number nine, I need to squeeze in before we go into the break, is have alternate routes planned. It's been several years ago, we were headed to St. Louis again, and there was a huge accident there, and we ended up being able to GPS our way around it, and I think that accident was backed up for like two days, so... You, you just don't want to ride that out. So have alternate routes planned in uh, a contingency plan, if you will. So we got one more segment. We're going to talk about 10 things that go in an emergency kit. Should, should you so choose to need them if you have a breakdown? We'll be right back in a minute. All right. Welcome back. We got just a little bit of time here, and I want to make sure and, and run through some of this stuff. So you can you can have, and I'm probably one of the biggest defenders of this, if you will. Um, I want to carry everything with me that if I need to rebuild the world, I can. That that's how I roll. Boy, this segment was made for me. All right, bring it. What do you got? <laughs> well, I am one of those people that prefers road trips over flying. Sure. Call me crazy. No. Actually, that's what we did for uh, mine and Ryan's honeymoon was we took a road trip out to Las Vegas that's and then awesome. all the way back. But the first thing I want to mention, mm-hmm. maybe you're not one of those people that likes to take your own vehicle yeah. on a road trip. Say you like to you know, rent a vehicle. Just a fair warning because of I don't know why. Maybe you know the answer to it. Vehicle prices for rental cars oh, yeah. has skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. It has tripled in the last several months. Yeah. Me and Ryan were going to go to Florida and we had to postpone it because a rental car that would typically cost us, you know, two, three hundred dollars mm-hmm. because, you know, we have to get that young driver's oh, yeah. uh, fee. <laughs> but it was like six or seven hundred dollars. Yeah. And we're like, that's not worth it. And, you know, we didn't want to take either of our vehicles. We just feel safer with. Sure. If something um, happens with it, you call them. Yeah. And I, I like that. I don't want to put my car in jeopardy. Yeah. Just an FYI on that part. Sure. But one thing that I always put in my vehicle, I know you haven't, or you haven't said anything yet, but one thing I always put, call me old fashioned, mm-hmm. a road atlas. Yeah, it is on my list. I think it is actually towards the bottom, but yes, a road atlas and then being familiar with it. You know, when I was a kid, that's all we had. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have any of that stuff. But to get back and I'll get into that here in a second. I don't want to let that go. 
But when the COVID uh, hysteria and shutdown, if you will, Hertz Rental Cars, one of the biggest ones out there, and all of them followed suit, they liquidated their their fleet at that point. So they sold, and, and I don't know if you remember, we did a show on that where they were selling cars super cheap. It's been, you know, well over a year ago at this point. So they sold all these cars to weather the storm. Well, so they liquidated their fleet, and they thought, oh, we'll just buy new cars. Well, you can't buy new cars right uh, now. Oh, you know what? That makes sense. Yes. So the supply and demand has skyrocketed that price. I had a customer that needs an engine put in her car, and we're going to do it. It actually just showed up. I think we're going to do it Monday. Um, she needed a car for a week while we could take care of it, and, and we'll get it done in less than a week. But she wanted to have some leeway on that. They wanted eight hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and and so that just—it's amazing. But that's why the rental car prices are so high, is because there is a deficit there where they sold thousands of cars instead of just letting them sit and make the payments over the shutdown they liquidated them took their losses tax write-off and now that things are starting to open up again and ramp up and people want to take trips um there's no cars and so they can charge more because they're supply and demand well, look at that you answered my question yep, i knew it i knew it so some of the other things and hopefully this is one of the main things as as the world of technology we have is a good cell phone and a good phone charger. And I even want to go a little bit for, further and have a backup power source. Um, I'm definitely a fan of redundancy. One is none and two is one. So you have a power source in your car as long as your car is running and the battery's good. My second backup power source is that boost box or anti-gravity battery or some kind of jump device that is charged. They're very inexpensive, but most of those have a USB charger built in them as well. So not only do they have a distress warning light, that if you get broke down, you can fire that up if it's non-power related. So people will see a flashing light in their direction. Um, I've told this story many times, and I'll make it quick. I was headed out to Mount Vernon years ago, and I had a car come into my oncoming traffic. It was, it was pitch black and dark out, and there was one headlight illuminated. And what had happened is a couple of very, very large horses had got out and in the road, and the gentleman had hit one of those horses, and it was it was in the middle of the road. And he had veered off with the hood up on the windshield and only had one headlight. So other than that, I wouldn't have been able to see him or avoid him. So we avoided the collision, and I got out, and thankfully I had a streamlight with a strobe feature. Now, in the beginning, while I was trying to flag traffic down so nobody else had an accident, I had just the flashlight on and was flashing it around, and nobody yielded. It was very close calls. I switched it over to a strobe feature, and then people started to yield. So having some kind of alternating light source or something different will get people to notice you to where they don't add to the problem. Or, or God forbid, something happened and you have a fatal uh, collision at that point. So you want to make sure and get away from that. Uh, so you want to be able to charge your phone. So that one tool, and they're less than a hundred bucks now, will do an amazing, amazing job. Read the reviews, buy the best one that you can afford. Don't buy the cheap one. Um, I want to have a first aid kit in there. I want to know how to use some basic first aid. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I got little ones they are not so little anymore, but a first aid kit has saved my bacon from minor scrapes and bruises to God forbid something big happen. A good flashlight. 
in uh, addition to the work light that is on your boost box or jump box, um, I carry a tire inflator with me all times now. Um, they have cheap ones that'll plug into the cigarette lighter that will go onto the battery or have standalone, um, battery sources from devices or power tools that you already own. So if you have a DeWalt, Milwaukee, even something from Harbor Freight, they have in their toolkits, their power toolkits, pretty reasonable tire inflators that are, you know, sometimes under 40, 50 bucks on up to a hundred dollars that you can dial in the tire pressure and air it up as needed. Uh, a good jack. We've got a member of our family that's uh, going away to school. And so one of my to-do lists before he leaves is to make sure and get him a better jack than what is supplied in the car. And so I'm literally going to get him a small portable aluminum jack. So if he does need to change a tire, he's got something better than the scissor or screw jack that comes in the car. So very, very important. Um, Something I always carry as well is gloves. Each one of my truck has a pair of work gloves. They stay in the truck. Um, Occasionally, I do take them out and use them, and I don't put them back, and I always kick myself for that. So a dedicated um, set of gloves that goes with the truck, a basic toolkit. And it doesn't have to be Snap-on or Mac or whatever. Have some basic tools on hand. Uh, I know it's been story time all day today, but uh, had a technician of mine. He left and and took his uh, camper up north and ended up having a a blowout out on the highway. So he's rooting around, and he had all the tire-changing stuff for his pickup, but the lug nuts that are on the trailer were a different size that didn't match the truck. So that's something to be considerate of. Um, Our trailers, typically I leave a dedicated lug set in the trailers um, and and the vehicles as well. As cheap as a cordless impact is nowadays, a lot of my vehicles have a dedicated cordless impact. So even if I'm not there, if I've got one of the kids or Stacy that needs to change a tire, God forbid, um, they have what I consider a uh, tool multiplying power. She doesn't have to be super, super strong to change a tire if you can get the lug nuts off. Well, that cordless impact will do that without a lot of physical strength. So uh, with lithium batteries, the batteries stay charged very, very well. But some basic tools. Well, my technician, to get back to that story, had an old box that his, his grandpa had passed down to him years ago, and he just had it in the truck. And there was, thankfully, a socket in there that allowed him to change that tire out on the side of 44 and get him up and going. They made it home safe. He got some tires ordered, I'm sure. Uh, but having that basic you know, setup on there saved his bacon. Huge, huge deal. Same for me. You know, I want redundancies. I don't want one lug wrench. I want a backup socket and a ratchet or a breaker bar to go along with that. Very, very important. And they're dedicated and stay in that piece of equipment, whether it's your car, truck, van, trailer, whatever the case may be. Um, Definitely want some water and snacks in there. I touched on water earlier. Really, really important, especially as hot as it is out there. Um, I got on the, the National Highway Safety website earlier doing a little research and uh, they actually have a running tally of running tally of fatalities that happen throughout this time of year. And I want to make sure that you and your family are safe. And that doesn't happen just from lack of hydration. Very, very, very important. Um, and then have some snacks in there. Something, you know, with some salt in there is always good. Um, 
Extra fluids, that's something that I uh, live and die by. I actually carry extra washer fluid because I'm adamant about washing my windows as we're running down the road. It's not uncommon between here and where I'm going to use a gallon, so I keep spare fluids with me. Not only washer fluid, I keep extra water, uh, antifreeze, uh, power steering and transmission fluid, and then some extra quarts of oil. Uh, Years ago, I went to Kansas City to tow a U-Haul trailer home. And I have no idea why I did this, but I think I had like seven or eight quarts of transmission fluid laying around my garage at home. And so I just loaded up a milk crate and uh, I had it all in there. And on the way home in Butler, Missouri, I'll never forget it. It pushed the front seal out of the transmission of, of my pickup and I lost all my transmission fluid out on the side of the road. And it was not a safe area for me to stop. So I had seven quarts of fluid in it, and I poured it all in there, and I made it to the off-ramp. And I barely walked up to the top of the off-ramp, and a good Samaritan picked me up and took me into Butler, which was about another three miles. So I I used up all my good karma and uh, had all the king's horses and all the king's men come and save me and get me back to Marionville. But uh, hopefully these trips, uh, tips and tricks helped you all. Uh, I want to make sure you guys are as safe as possible and as prepared as possible. If there's anything we can do, we're here Monday through Friday, 730 to 530. Please reach out to us and we'll do our very level best to get you all taken care of. Be safe and be prepared out there. Don't be one of the stats. Have a great and safe summer. We'll see you next week.